Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast. In episode 259, Mickey O'Brien, cultural educator and advisor, descendant of the Ghana and Narunga peoples, reflects on the need to look for the commonalities, not for the differences in our cultures. Mickey shares how he's working to support Aboriginal people to retain their knowledge whilst living in the pressures of a Western world. His mission is to help enable the oldest living culture in the world to be available and present. This is Mickey's version of Be The Drop, recorded live at New Day Summit. Mickey, we're here at New Day and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the mic. Dina mani, Amelia. Gana mena, wangadi mani, la budni gani yatana, yirindi yata, nainari kamatbi maricha. Hello, and uh, it's great that uh, we can say hello and uh, welcome you to the Ghana lands. And my Aboriginal name is that of the impatient one. And uh, we stand uh, in Karawirapara, which is uh, the Red Gum Forest River. Well, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here and have you joining me for Be The Drop and for you to have me here on Ghana land as we join together for New Day Conference, which is around purpose and leadership and your involved with the event and organisation. Is it a, an ambassador role? Is that right? Yeah, I suppose it's developed in that. Initially, it was about uh, providing that welcoming of all of our uh, guests to this uh, summit. And uh, it's sort of developed where I've had the opportunity, obviously, to be a guest speaker as as well as to continue that uh, welcoming role. And it's something that obviously is important. And uh, for me, is that opportunity to continue that sharing of culture. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you because for me as a non-Indigenous Australian, it is incredibly important to have those opportunities to be able to learn about culture. Today we're talking at New Day, they're looking at purpose and leadership. And I'd love to hear from you something that gets us to understand you a bit better and your journey and your purpose, whether you have a story or a moment or something that stands out for you along your journey that has helped shape your purpose. Thank you. Uh, It's a a challenging question because I was one of seven kids. So, you know, being a person who wanted to be liked or wanted to be present, you try to be uh, louder or you try to be better uh, than your siblings. And also for me, because I was a fair-skinned Aboriginal person, at times through life I found that I was in this in-between zone where sometimes... uh, Aboriginal people would uh, call me a a non-Aboriginal person and sometimes non-Aboriginal people would call me Aboriginal people and so it was hard to find myself. But I did come to a crossroad in my own identity 
So my father sort of organised me for to see a, a wadi who was a lawman, a person who's been initiated, and I felt that if I maybe went through law, I could have that um, deeper sense of the knowledge of our people and, and hopefully have that outer respect of our people. And uh, when I went and asked him to become a, uh, initiated, he said to me that uh, he wouldn't do that. And I was surprised and taken back why he wouldn't do it. And he, he said to me basically that law is not a certificate. It is something that is a, a lifelong journey. But it also doesn't fit in the Western world ways, you know, a nine to five sort of job five days a week, whereas law is uh, where you sometimes might be an hour, it might be a day, it might be a whole year. And so to give that time just doesn't fit in the Western world. And so he said to me, he wanted me to, to understand the Western world ways, to enable our people that were living the cultural ways to understand and, and to be supported to retain their knowledge and to be able to live the Western world ways. And so I suppose I've made it my mission to to continue that work and to support Aboriginal people who live in communities and uh, regions and to help enable the oldest living culture in the world to be available and, and to be present. Mm, thank you for that story and the work that you do to enable the culture to be present. And we're having more of these conversations and looking at Australia and, and there was conversation today with Vicky around Australia Day and the date that causes much pain and has a lot of misunderstanding. How do we navigate these conversations? How do we celebrate that together? How can we bridge the in-between to enable compassion and understanding and celebration? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think to, to start, I think people were really naive to the impacts of colonisation. And so education plays a, a big part of that. But I, I think people have painted Aboriginal people to be people that uh, don't contribute, who are dependent, who are not able to navigate the Western world, who are aggressive. But if you take a step back and really look, Aboriginal people have been tolerant, patient, giving, sharing and caring people because we've said this in our culture, we've said it in our language, we do it in our ways of living and when you consider this over 250 years ago, the, the initial impacts of particularly colonisation happened, our, our people have continued to be on this journey and I think when we look at that uh, last uh, Uluru statement which sort of brought out these three particular focal points being treaty, being voice and also being truth. When we look at those things, we as Aboriginal people only being, you know, less than 5% of the population and living in a democracy, we need really 50% of the population to support cultural understanding and needs. We need to tell the truth that it wasn't Captain Cook that discovered Australia, it was Aboriginal people discovering Captain Cook on their lands. We need that treaty because we're the only... British nation that doesn't have a treaty with its First Nations peoples. And when we can have those things, then I think we can have a clearer picture and an understanding of where Aboriginal people are placed in this society. And the odd thing is people don't realise that reconciliation started back in the uh, mid to late 80s. Also, the Aboriginal flag became a national flag in 1994, the same year that the government decided to make Australia Day a national holiday on the 26th of January. When I look at it, I see that we, 
every time we make a forward movement for Aboriginal people, we tend to take uh, two steps back. But in saying that, I still look at it as a positive day. It may sound uh, ridiculous, but the uh, Aboriginal flag was flown first nationally on the 26th of January. The tent embassy started on the 26th of January. The day of mourning, or what has now become the NAIDOC week, started on the 26th of January. The first Aboriginal lady married a non-Aboriginal man on the 26th of January. And so if I can mark those occasions, then I can in some ways move forward in seeing hopefully a positive or greater change for not just Aboriginal people, but our whole nation. Absolutely. And it's interesting because as you're talking, you know, this this is information I'm not aware of, of all of those dates. So it's Again, that reminds me of what you said before, education, information, awareness. Yeah, and when we look at things like language, it enables us to to understand a people. And when you look at the fact that we are always to say see you later, never goodbye, tells you that we were always welcoming people. But when we welcome people, the purpose is we can share in knowledge, we can gain knowledge, and therefore we can grow um, in in connecting and uh, that's what welcome is it's not just saying are you well when you come to a place it's not just saying hello it's saying where have we been what have we been doing because they're the things that we can share and and grow upon and uh, we do this uh, whether it be in our cultural ways but in the western world ways people do it when they invite people into their homes and so we need to look for the commonalities not for the differences in uh, cultures and that's what uh, our people did. Uh, we were great observers, great listeners, and we were people who wanted to share uh, this knowledge and wisdom. You know, you don't live on a continent uh, for tens of thousands of years without knowing something. And sadly, people saw us half naked and the words terrenalius that they used, which was empty, wasted land, wasn't really talking about the fact that people weren't here or the land wasn't being utilised. It's really saying that we were not Christian people and therefore we were wasting our time and empty of Christian values. And so we really need to not listen to just me. It's about listening to our own history, really. And uh, therefore we will find the right path for all of us, but particularly in uh, reconciling those differences and impacts for Aboriginal people. And it is important to understand that the impacts, you know, whilst we talk about this was 250 years ago the impacts are ongoing yeah so understand the history then go this is why the current issues now should not be ignored it isn't about going but i didn't do something in the past that wasn't me but it's about going but these are our ongoing issues now so we all have a responsibility as humans connected and as people who call ourselves australians Mm. we have a responsibility for what's happening now Well, you're exactly right, and we can't unknow when we know, and that's the problem. A lot of people like to think that these things happened 200 years ago, but without acknowledge them, without embracing them, we're actually justifying those things that did happen 200 years ago. But let me tell you, some of these things not only continue today, but are also in our generation. You know, I myself was born a non-Australian citizen because I was born before 1967. Uh, when the referendum which gave Aboriginal people that opportunity to be counted as Australian citizens. So these things are uh, present day. We still have forgotten the First Nations people who overrepresent in health, education, incarceration, um, employment, uh, accommodation. 
and uh, it's it's really a, a serious thing that needs to be focused on by all of us and uh, when we can do that, I think we could be uh, not only a richer uh, nation, but then see how we can also be a part of the this oldest living culture. Mm. And for me, as I said, as a non-Indigenous Australian, I, I would personally like to discover and understand, so I'd be very interested in your advice or ideas around how do I navigate conversations respectfully? How do I engage in Australia's Aboriginal culture respectfully? I would love to be able to be at a time and place where I could celebrate that culture as, as an extension of who I am as an Australian and how I connect with that. But currently, I don't understand how to do that respectfully. Yeah, and it's a good question. And I try to tell people when when we talk about a welcome, it's really understanding country. What is it that we have with the connection of country? Is it because we were born? Is it because we live there? Is it because we work there? Is it because we know the stories, we know the First Nations peoples, the language of those First Nations peoples, the culture of the First Nations people. And what is our journey upon that? When we understand those things and those connections, then we do have a greater connection to the place and able to really understand those uh, values that are uh, continued to be demonstrated by Aboriginal people, but really in some ways are invisible uh, to our wider uh, population. And we only see them in times of uh, sometimes devastation, like when we had the number of fires across the nation. Then we asked the Aboriginal people, what was their fire technology? When we saw much of the drought, we then asked the Aboriginal people, what was your water technology? And so people come to us when they want the knowledge and wisdom, when it's in some ways at that last uh, point of devastation rather than saying well what can we learn and and uh, do now before it gets to those situations and we just as I said earlier our people are waiting and and we're tolerant and we're we're just wanting people to to ask and and to listen. So then really is one of the most important things that listening piece? Yeah I, I think so I mean what's interesting is we're a, such a multicultural nation and we embrace these wonderful cultures that we're a witness to, and we support those cultures, whether it be their religious perspectives, whether it be their specifics in around their cultural values. We still continue to really uh, paint a picture of Aboriginal people uh, in a way that constantly doesn't fit in the Western world box. And uh, I want to really see a change and see the Aboriginal people have really have been an ongoing contributor, whether it be in war, whether it be in medicines, whether it be the, the knowledge of the land use, or whether it be in some ways their philosophies of life that have continued to, to, to be told to our generations. Mm. And you mentioned before the reconciliation and that journey and I've met you on, on a previous occasion through Sarah Constructions and their mm -hmm. Reconciliation Action Plan and, and the journey that they're on. You know, that is something that we're seeing more of, organisations and companies taking their staff and their businesses through a process of understanding and knowledge. Is that the sort of action that you think we need more of as, as well from, from the bridge? If we're creating space around an Aboriginal culture but then from an, another perspective creating more awareness and education? Well, I think the key word there is action. I mean, far too often I, I look at reconciliation action plans and 
sadly I, I call them awareness plans. I think people's intent are good. They want to embrace culture, they want to understand culture, they want to bring culture uh, to a space uh, in their workplace or to their community or even to themselves. But when it comes to action, the action a lot of the time I see is very passive. And, and so they make these statements that, you know, we'll get X amount of employees uh, to be Aboriginal people or we'll attend uh, things in the community that are Aboriginal specific rather than saying, well, we can be proactive. Let's, you know, go out there and find these Aboriginal people. Let's help support them and understand and navigate the, the working space and provide uh, culturally safe environments for them when they do come into the space because they will be the minority person. And what would that feel like? And, and how does that fit when they do have him? How they can navigate that with even the difficulties of their family who will also impact on them because they have a job and money and responsibilities and, and have a, a wider uh, family commitment. And when we attend uh, these events and that, what is it that we're contributing to the event? Are we just attending them or are we actually driving these events and supporting these events? And so I think, you know, we need to take more um, uh, proactive uh, places rather than this passive or, or spectator view. And I think... I think it's, sadly, our democracy system is misunderstood and we look at Aboriginal people as this minority group and so therefore we're less likely to support it because they have the smallest voice. But in Aboriginal culture, we had a democracy system. Our democracy system, unlike the Western world, which says the largest voice gets the largest say and the largest need, in Aboriginal culture... Our democracy voice said that the largest people with the largest say made sure that they looked after those with the least voice and the least say. Our people worked on a philosophy of twoness, reciprocity, yarra, meaning same, both different and together. And, uh, and so we, we only took what we need, not what we wanted, and we left uh, things for, for others or we shared things or we also left it for another day. Because if we took everything today, we would have nothing for tomorrow. And when we understand that balance of life, you know, we, we had a, I suppose what you would say, a system that worked on land was first, then plants, then animals, people were last. In the Western world, they work on a system, man is first, then animals, then plants, and then land. And that's why we had a philosophy of when we left our physical body, we return to the land, the skies, the waters, the plants, the animals in our spiritual form. Whereas in the Western world, particularly those who are Christians, will believe that eternal life is in a place outside of the, the world uh, known as heaven. And so therefore, uh, there's no need to think about what they leave behind, whether that's devastation or satisfaction or success. I really appreciate your thoughts and philosophy on that. And I hope that through sharing these stories, through sharing understanding, through people encouraging people to educate and get more involved, that we can do that, that we can create more of a unity, more of you know, rise up our minority voices and our Aboriginal Australians and hear them on a bigger stage. And you mentioned the Uluru Statement and, and I see positive traction around that and I do hope that that builds and grows. So in conclusion, can we finish with 
your be the drop tip, right? So that's your top tip for how you think we should com- communicate to motivate and inspire action, how we should create waterfalls. Yeah, I suppose uh, as our people always did is through storytelling. So this story is a story of how this uh, group of elders, they decided that people weren't ready, people weren't responsible to have all the knowledge and wisdom in the world. And so they thought, let's put it in the deepest caves or the deepest oceans or the highest mountains where people can't find it. But one elder said that our people were good swimmers, good explorers and good climbers and therefore they'll find those things. And so this one elder said, let's put it in the last place they look. And they all looked to the elder and said, well, where is that? And they said, in their hearts. So knowledge and wisdom is collected in our mukha, mukha being our brain, but unless we connect it to our hearts, we use it for self-gain or destruction. But when we look to it in our hearts, we're then able to use it for love, for care, for the benefit of all people. And so all I ask is people look in their hearts and when they do, they'll find the greater knowledge, the greater wisdom and what they can do uh, to be better people uh, in a world that is for all people. So, nakara, nechaya, I look forward to seeing you again, Amelia, and uh, thank you very much for allowing me to share culture, wisdom, knowledge and uh, a voice. Oh, Mickey, thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.